We'll take your Bible this morning and go to Luke chapter number 7. Luke and chapter number 7. Here's what we're doing uh, today as we get into um, this chapter. Of course, we're uh, still enjoying the uh, Thanksgiving season. And uh, made a mistake. I got on the scale this morning. I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't the best time to, to do so <laughs> here during the week of, of uh, Thanksgiving. But um, anyway, so I, I would imagine probably your mind, like mine, still much on just, we ought to be thankful. You know, I have privilege and opportunity to teach on Thursdays and Fridays in class. And, and most generally we start, okay, what, what are you thankful for? Because I, I, just, I just don't believe we're as thankful as we ought to be, given as blessed as we are. And so, uh, anyways, just uh, really trying to be mindful of that. But, but then also, also, you know, just uh, where we are in the series, we're in Matthew, typically Matthew, and in fact, by the way, the, the, the choir song just a moment ago and, and um, the fact that he's coming to his kingdom and his, the glory of his kingdom, uh, he's king and, um, and we're not waiting for him to be king. He already is king, but he will set up his kingdom here on earth. And so we're in that series in uh, Matthew 18. We just finished chapter 18. We're getting ready to start 19. And it's on marriage and, and divorce even. So we're, we're going to come to it. I'm not sure that here this holiday season is just the right time period to hit that. And so we'll, we'll see if it gets in December, it's even in January. But we'll get back to it. Sure looking forward to it. I think our nation needs help. We all need help in the realm of what, what, was, what is God's plan, you know, for marriage and such. So, but here, this is uh, what we're looking at today in Luke 7. I'm, I'm going to say is like a cross-reference to what we considered in Matthew 18. So if you'd allow, as we get into it, then we'll do a little bit of backtracking from last week and into this week. And I think you'll see the natural connection as we do. And so Luke chapter number 7, let's just go ahead and read our text now at this time. Luke 7 and verse number 36 says, And one of the Pharisees, one of the Pharisees desired him... Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake, the Bible says he spake within himself. So in other words, he was just thinking. He spake within himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner a woman this is that toucheth him. For she, notice what he says, for she is a sinner. Luke introduced her and said she was a sinner. He looked at her and said, he, if he was really a prophet, he'd know that she is a sinner. All right, now watch the rest of it as it plays out here. Verse number 40. <clears throat> and Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, <laughs> I have somewhat to say unto thee. Jesus heard what he was thinking. 
He heard what he said to himself. And he saith, Master, say on. Not sure he really meant that though, do you? <laughs> Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had, please notice this, <clears throat> nothing to pay. When they had nothing well, you can actually, you can stop just right there. When they had nothing, they had nothing. He says, when they had nothing to pay, how about this? He frankly forgave them both. Frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose... Almost as though he's communicating, I don't really want to play along with this. I suppose that he to whom he forgave most, and he, Jesus, said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? Oh, did he? Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time that I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet, my head, with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hast anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, verse 47, please notice this. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. <laughs> For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves. I mean, a lot of people talking to themselves in there. <laughs> they said within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, notice this. It wasn't her washing his feet with her hair. It was, it was not his, her anointing his feet with the oil. Thy faith. Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. And the rest of them sat there, not in peace. This morning, um, tying together Thanksgiving, but also what we considered last week in forgiveness. And so just tying the two together, just thinking about it. Thanksgiving from the forgiven. Thanksgiving from the forgiven. Gratitude depends on the attitude of the recipient. Gratitude, I want you to think about that here with me this morning. Gratitude depends on the attitude of the recipient. So may God bless the reading of his word. Let's get right to it here this morning. We're at a very significant uh, section of Matthew 
in our series through the book, and it's on interpersonal relationships even within, within the church family. And so we've hit it a few weeks now, and, and in fact, even intentionally so, because uh, the type of relationships that we have within the church either make us or mar us, as one individual said. Uh, we're either known for the unity and the love that exists at Southwest Baptist Church, or we're known for the conflict. I'd much rather be known for the love that exists here. But it is true, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, if you'd allow even just this extra week here on this subject before we move on, churches are not immune from conflict or from criticism or from gossip or hurt feelings or from people leaving or problems between members. We're just not immune from it. Now, I would, I would, I would hope and, and trust that, that if our church were to undergo a health checkup, that uh, this relationships that we're enjoying here would be better maybe than what's going on at the workplace, the secular workplace that doesn't have God working in the midst of them. Are you following what I'm saying? I sure hope it'd be better here than, than at the local club or, at, or wherever else here you want to compare. I mean, there ought to be, there ought to be a marked difference between the way that we love one another and thank God that there is a marked difference in the way that we endeavor to show love to one another than how people treat people out there in the world. But it is true that what's out there in the world has a way of creeping in because we come here. Right. We come here. So in the last message, it was on forgiveness, as you might be putting together if you weren't here even. And uh, in fact, our Christian lives begin with forgiveness. I mean, that's where our spiritual life even begins, that we acknowledge that we're a sinner and we ask God to forgive us of our sin and he saves us. How many testimonies went on this past Wednesday night? Which by the way, uh, I agree with um, Ethan uh, Lowe, my nephew. I, I believe Ben and Becca may have been working in the nursery. I'm not sure if both are, or just one of the two, but, but uh, he was commenting on the testimony service. He said, it'd be worth going back to watch. Be worth going back to watch. And it was. I mean, a lot of people standing and giving testimony. I want to thank God for when he saved me. Well, right there, what they're saying is, listen, I recognize that I was a sinner, that he was a holy and righteous God, and he saved me, and he forgave me of my sin. So you'd think people that had been forgiven would be experts in forgiving. That's what you'd think. But Jesus, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, and he's dealing with his disciples, knows that they're going to sin they're going to sin against one another and they're going to be dealing with sinners for a long time as they exist as a church family. In fact, they're supposed to go after sinners and bring them in and, and see God do a great work in their life and help them get past their sin. Isn't that what a church is supposed to be like? That we ought to, we're, we're not some sterile environment where everybody's just squeaky clean. No, but rather this ought to be like a hospital where people that, that have been infected by sin would come in and get the remedy that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. See? So anyways, those that have been forgiven ought to be, ought to be experts in many ways in forgiveness. But I think we agreed last week that we do struggle on both sides of forgiveness. Sometimes we struggle on the side of asking for forgiveness. Sometimes we struggle on the side of, of giving forgiveness. Sometimes we struggle from another angle. Sometimes we don't want to let people be forgiven. Um, Warren Wearsby said, an unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground. An unforgiving spirit. C.S. Lewis said, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful thing until we have to practice it. Now we like forgiveness when we're the one forgiven. Right. We struggle with forgiveness. So I thought, I think we might 
be due a second sermon on forgiveness. This isn't just, this isn't leftovers from last week. Although, leftovers are good. Huh? Isn't it too bad you can't make those from scratch? Anyways. Now, this isn't leftovers. This is, this is a sister passage to this. But I do want to tie in, and I, I'm going to be very careful here not, not to get just bogged down in, in, in the Matthew passage. But Jesus, the whole context is dealing with what we oftentimes refer to as church discipline. And it starts with him saying, you know, about the, 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 those that would be offending one another and be careful about offenses, which bears us saying again, hey, we need to be careful the way that we think about one another and the way that we talk to one another and the way we act towards one another. Because Jesus said, woe be unto those by whom offenses come. It'd be better that they had a millstone hung around their neck and then cast into the depths of the sea, which doesn't sound like it'd be very pleasant. And it's not. But he's simply saying, listen, you, you ought to be very careful the way that you treat one another so that offenses would not come in. But then he's talking about forgiveness and he says, if you have a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, then you go after that one that's gone astray to bring them back because the goal is restoration, to restore them. So if your brother has offended you, then go to your brother or go to your sister one-on-one, talk to them in order to restore them, to get them back. And if they say, yes, you're right, would you forgive me? Then you have gained your brother. If they won't listen to just you, then take somebody else with you to even to verify that they are not repentant, but in, also in an effort also to try to restore them. Again, it's that leaving the 99 and going after the one that's gone astray. And so then you get the whole church involved. Again, the goal is to forgive. Again, the goal is not to punish. Even the church discipline aspect of it is not punitive. It's not, it's not to reprimand. It's restoration. Now, part of it's going to require some of that, what we would refer to as church discipline. But again, the goal is I want to get them back. I want to be in a right relationship between me and my brother or my sister. Peter spoke up and said this. Now, Lord, how many times do I need to do this? How many times do I need to forgive? Seven? Probably felt pretty smug because the leading rabbis of the day would say, look, three. Three strikes and you're out. Even before the days of baseball, that's what they had going. They said, three and you're out. Jesus said, uh, seven. Seven, Peter was probably thinking, man, I doubled the quota right there. Seven. Jesus said, 70 times seven. In other words, he's saying, listen, Peter, don't count. Don't count because people count so much. You just keep forgiving them and 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 keep asking forgiveness if you're the one that's done wrong and then receiving forgiveness, mercy. I mean, that must be what our lives are going to be about if Jesus said, listen, stop counting. Forgiveness. And then he used, you still following along here so far? He, he used then an illustration of a creditor that was taken account just like our passage here. Only there, he said, when he took record, he found that one individual owed 10,000 talents, which we determined last week was a buku of money. 
a buku of money, a whole bunch of money. I mean, $10 million, $20 million, somewhere in that, in that range. I mean, more than really what, what a man would make in a lifetime. I mean, most men you follow, especially that day and time, it was just, it was way beyond what the man could repay. And so he fell at the feet of the creditor and he said, please forgive me. Give me time and I'll pay you all. Well, really, he wasn't able to pay him all, but that's what he said. And what the man did is he forgave him. Watch this now. He forgave him of that whole amount, the whole thing. Can you imagine how, how relieved you'd be? I mean, if today you got home and, or tomorrow you got, you got a phone call and, and it wasn't spam, that'd be a blessing, number one. But it was, your, it was your, your lender, it was you know, your mortgage company. They said, listen, we realize that you still owe about $100,000, but we just want to tell you something. It's done. You're free. No more payments. You say, What? Man, would you be relieved at that? Wouldn't that be a blessing? No more house payments. I mean, just totally, it is totally forgiven. Well, this, that's exactly how it was in this man's life. He was totally forgiven. And yet what he did is he went out there and he found somebody that owed him 100, 100 pence. And he took him and he put him up against the wall or he took him at least by the throat. And he said, pay me that that owest. And the man fell down at his feet. And he said, listen, I'll pay you and forgive me. But he wouldn't forgive him. And, and yet when it word got back to that creditor, he said, thou wicked servant, I forgave you of this much and you won't give, forgive him of this much? You know what Jesus was saying right there in that, in that parable, in that story? He was saying, listen, I know as my disciples, you're going to struggle with forgiveness. But you need to forgive. The word forgive means this, to let go, to release, to set free. In Luke chapter 7, we have really a, a, a sister passage to that in the sense that forgiveness is a major theme here. Watch this. If you were to just kind of scan your eyes down Luke chapter 7, then you'd see this. You'd see Jesus being a friend of sinners. He healed the, the servant of a centurion. He didn't even go to his house. The centurion said, listen, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Just speak the word. And listen, the man was healed. And then after that, you have Jesus as he heals, he raises from the dead a, a widow's son. I mean, you talk about gratitude there. She was so grateful that he did that. And, and then you have the Pharisees in the picture, and they were critical of John because he was too narrow-minded. But then they were critical of Jesus because in their mind, he was too broad-minded. And Jesus said, you know, you're like a bunch of kids that so you can't even please. And then at the end of that, Matthew's account would say, Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Matthew chapter 11, all this is working together. But then there was a man named Simon who invited Jesus. He was a leading Pharisee. He invited Jesus over for a meal. Uh, now, this would be separate from the account that, later, that would be later on. Uh, this is totally different than, than those other accounts. This is a special one. This is a man named Simon. He was probably a very affluent man. Their homes were open and they would have a courtyard yard where other people could come and not necessarily partake in the meal, but watch this. They would just listen to the theological conversation of the leading rabbis of the day. So here's this, here's this man named Simon. He invites Jesus, who's at this point nationally known, he invites Jesus to come over to his house for a meal. Now, I hope you're seeing through this already. Simon was not having a meal because he really wanted to be a blessing to Jesus. 
Simon was not having a meal because he really respected Jesus. He was not having a meal because he thought, you know, I'd like to have Jesus over and just ask him a few questions so that I can learn some things. No, Simon had Jesus over because Simon wanted to make Simon look good. Simon wanted maybe even to trip him up, could possibly be the case, but certainly as a leading Pharisee, he would be one that would want to have a big meal and have this big name person come to his house. And so he had Jesus over for a meal. It's a matter of recognition, a matter of status. Um, Can I say it to you this way? Simon was hungry, but he wasn't hungry for just a meal. He was hungry for something else. Recognition in his society, status in his society. That was his mentality in having Jesus over. That was his attitude. His attitude, are you you following along right here? His attitude was one such that he felt like, um, hang, hang on, his attitude probably was more along these lines. Jesus ought to feel impressed that I had him to my house. Uh, Hello. Simon probably thought, you know, I'm doing Jesus a favor by having him here. Simon felt like he had something to offer Jesus rather than the other way around. But even though Simon would maybe would not have recognized it in this way, Simon had a hunger for something more than just the food that was on the table. My wife shared a devotion with me. I'd like to just share a little bit of it with you here. It said this, Thanksgiving make me, makes me hungry. Have you, you know, you know, as a child um, waiting for mom to get that Thanksgiving meal, I was so glad she had snacks because I don't know if I would have made it. Had she not had, you know, those crispy, uh, or those rice crispy squares out and other things, you know, out just to snack on. My wife, you know, she's about to put a big old meal on and, and yet there was a rotel out, you know, cheese. And man, that's my weakness. I'll be very honest with you. And I can't hardly stop, you know, once I get started. And so anyways, but you know, just that big meal. Well, some kid comes in there and says, hey, Thanksgiving's making me hungry. But you know, if you think about our lives today, in a lot of ways, we're hungering. Paul David Tripp wrote, wrote a little section. I've just kind of narrowed it down to just a few lines. A teenager sitting in a school cafeteria looks around at all the other people that's got friends and they're hungry. Hungry for relationships. A young MBA graduate arrives in New York City and stands and looks up at the big buildings and they're hungry for status and money. A little boy going through the biggest toy store in his life looks around and he's hungry for something that's going to satisfy. An artist finishes another painting, but looks at all those others that are stacked up along the wall that didn't turn out and they're hungry for recognition in an art gallery. A single middle-aged individual with a dream of marriage, flickering and fading, loneliness overwhelming, unlocks an empty apartment and they're hungry for a relationship. He said this, humanity is a community of the hungry, hungry for food, hungry for acceptance, hungry for success, hungry for peace, for hope, for home, for satisfaction, for rest, for safety, for a future, for love. But then he said this, our deepest hungers are not really physical hungers, they're spiritual hungers. 
But our deeper hunger is only, listen, this is so good. Our deeper hunger, our, oh, I hope you're getting this here today. Our deeper hunger is only satisfied at one table. At one table, at one table where, where it's not a food that's spread, that, that's there, that physical, but rather it's this, it's deep in every human heart is a hunger for the Lord's table, that table of grace. Where we're satisfied not with what, what things we have, but rather satisfied with Him. And if you are hungry today for anything or anyone other than Him, then listen, you're never going to be satisfied. But if you get your hunger in the right place and you're hungry for Him, then you'll find true satisfaction. Simon was hungry and, and he was having Jesus over, but again, it was not for a physical meal. He was hungry for status and hungry for recognition and hungry for position and power. And he thought he had something to offer Jesus. Three common courtesies would have been extended just like when somebody comes to your home, it's good to watch for them and, and leave the door open. And then when they come, you open the door for them and you welcome them in and, and you uh, offer to take their jacket and, and, and then you also offer to help them get a seat and maybe offer them something to drink. I mean, that's just our common courtesies. In Jesus' time, it would have been this, that as, as they traveled in, then they would have washed their feet. They would have had at least somebody there that would have taken a basin of water and washed their feet because as they traveled, they didn't wear shoes like we do, but they wore sandals and they didn't wear socks or, or anything of that nature. So their feet would get dusty and dirty. And so you would wash their feet that way. And then you'd have oil because uh, the, the, the dryness, the arid climate. And so they would anoint their head with oil and, and maybe even their feet, but for sure their head and, and recognition of respect respect and honor. And, and so this was just a common, listen, this is the common courtesy that you would show somebody. Simon didn't even show Jesus common courtesy. Jesus uh, sat at the seat and, and you may wonder, now, how did she get to his feet if his feet are out in front of him? Well, they, they had their tables were different. It was shaped in a, in a more of a U shape. And it was, you know, just a, a little ways off the ground. And so what a person would do is they would come and they would stretch out and their feet would be out this way. We doing okay? And, and tried today for lunch. And so anyways, they would eat like this. And so their feet were out behind them. And, but what would happen is that even though people that weren't invited, they could come, as I mentioned before, and they could just kind of listen in. So you'd have this courtyard and you, and it was a, sometimes a packed house because everybody wanted to be at the rabbi's house. Everybody wanted to be at the Pharisee's house. So Jesus is there. Well, in the middle of the meal, this woman comes in and everybody knew who she was. In the city, it says there was a certain woman that came and she was in the city. That indicates that she was not a woman of good reputation. You're putting two to two together right now, probably in your minds. Most likely, though the Bible doesn't specifically say it right here, probably she was a harlot or something of that nature, maybe an adulterous woman. She was a woman of the city. And Simon, when he saw her come in, he recognized what she, I'm sure it went through his mind. Didn't you hear what he said, thought in his mind? What's she doing here? But it wasn't too uncommon. I mean, it was just open to everybody. But she came and she did something that was very bold. She went to where Jesus was and, and just was overcome with emotion. Now the Bible tells us that she came with an alabaster box, very costly. Um, there's a lot of things that play in right here. 
She'd wasted a lot of her life on herself. How did she come across that alabaster box? How did she have the funds to pay for that? I mean, really, if you follow the story, she had a bad reputation. But now what she's wanting to do is not any more of her life be wasted on herself. And so instead, she's willing to take what was very costly and expensive and use it to anoint not the head because she didn't feel she deserved to be anywhere near his head, but his feet. But evidently, she didn't come, by the way, she didn't even come prepared to wash his feet. How do you know that? Well, because she didn't have a towel. She, hang on. She would have expected that probably the host would have made sure that his feet would have been washed before she got to him. But once she got there, she found that he hadn't even had his feet washed yet. And so she's overcome with emotions and tears begin to fall. Have you ever been there? It may have been in the last song. It's overcome with how good God's been to you and the fact that you didn't deserve anything. And yet he's forgiven you and given you so much. And tears are just hitting his feet. And I I would say that maybe she's even a little bit embarrassed by that. And and so she lets her hair down. And that wasn't typical in their time as well. And so she allowed her hair to be down. And and she didn't have a towel, so she just began to to rub the the tears off of his feet with her hair. And and, and so she she anointed then his feet with the oil. And Simon all the time is sitting there just stewing, thinking, ah, see, I told you. If he were a prophet, if he knew, if he really was a prophet, then he would have known what kind of woman this is. Simon yes I have something to say master say on there's a certain creditor and he had two people that owed him a debt one owed him 500 and that's what I said 500 and the other owed him 50 so one owed him 10 times more one owed him 500 a daily wage, basically. So this would take about 20 months to pay. So he owed about nearly two years worth of money to this man. And the other one owed him, you know, uh, the 50. And so just a, a significantly short amount of time. But wait, wait a minute. Hang on. Everybody still with me right here? Here's the point. Both are debtors. Both are debtors. And, and, and time had come to pay. And so really, at that point... It really didn't matter how much you owed. If you're a debtor, you're still a debtor. He said, now one owed more than the other. That's true. That's true to the story. Um, But it doesn't matter, friend, if you get bit by a rattlesnake that's this big, or you get one bit by a rattlesnake that's that's big. As I understand it, they both have the same amount of venom. And if you get by either size, you need to get somewhere fast. And it doesn't matter how much, how big the snake is, as it, it matters, the venom that is in you and you need the antidote. It does not matter if you, if a, if a team loses by 50 or a team loses by three, an L looks the same. Okay, that's a little sensitive here this morning, but <laughs> it, do, it doesn't matter. I mean, it really, you say, yeah, but I'd much rather lose by three. Well, me too, I'm, I'm with you on that. Either way, are you following me here? I'm still preaching. I'm not, I'm not meddling. Either way, you lost. You lost. You lost. It doesn't matter. 
The amount doesn't matter. The fact that you lost matters. It doesn't matter the size of the snake. The fact that you've been bit matters. The fact that you have 500 that you owe the man versus 50 that you owe the man really at the end of the day does not matter because you owe the man. You take somebody that grew up in the world, had no time in church. I mean, their whole life is chaotic. Their whole life is is just one drama to the next drama. Drugs, alcohol, prostitution. I mean, the whole gamut. You just make it the worst story ever. Listen, that person has a debt before Almighty God. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 19 that the law was given, that every mouth would be stopped, that the whole world would become guilty before God. And maybe I just described somebody that could have been described by the terms that were in Romans chapter 1 and how that they were even involved in homosexuality or involved in fornication or involved in adultery. I'm just talking about it. This was a very wicked sinner. But you take another person that grew up in America. and Maybe they grew up in a relatively moral home and, and they had a good mom and a good dad and, and they were hardworking people. They didn't go to church, but they didn't tell a bunch of lies and they didn't have a bunch of drama in their home. But listen, if they die without Jesus, Jesus Christ. They died just like the family that had no church background. Because the sin debt is the same for both. You say, well, this one didn't sin as much. And I would agree with that. I mean, but at the same time, maybe you don't know all the hidden sins that are there. You don't know all the, all the attitudes that are there. You don't know, I mean, here it's evident. I mean, sins of the flesh are evident. But may I say to you this morning that it's not just the sins of the flesh that we will give account for, but it's the sins of the spirits. It's those attitudes, those inward attitudes that maybe it's like thinking this, I'm a lot better than they are. I deserve something better than they do. If you die without Jesus Christ, you'll die and go to hell just like any sinner does. The fact of debt is what matters, not the amount of the debt. Jesus says, Simon, let me tell you something. That creditor, frankly, freely, graciously, generously forgave both of them. Hallelujah. Which one do you think will love him the most? I don't know if Simon knew where Jesus was going with this. Or if I don't know if it was maybe like how David was when when Nathan the prophet came and and used an illustration to get to his heart. I, I don't know all that was going on in Simon's mind, but he said, well, I suppose he to whom much is forgiven. And then Jesus said, Simon, do you see this woman? Don't you love it how Jesus asks questions that are just obvious? Oh yeah, he saw that woman. Do you see this woman? Since I came, she, she's not only washed my feet, she didn't wash my feet with a, a, a basin of water and such. So she washed my feet with her tears and she didn't take a towel, Simon. She took her hair. You've not washed my feet. You've not helped me. You've not even given me common courtesy because to whom much is forgiven, they show much love. This woman, here's her attitude. I know I don't deserve to be here. I can't sit at that table, but let me tell you something. He showed me love. I don't know at what point this woman got saved. I don't know when she realized that she was a sinner and needed to be forgiven, but at some time she understood that he was a savior and she knew for sure that she was a sinner. And yet he showed her mercy and he showed her grace and he showed her love. How else could we but fall down before him 
and say, oh God, I don't deserve this, but I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thank you for the forgiveness that you've shown me. And she's just overwhelmed with emotion. Hey, listen, we ought to thank God for sinners that realize how much it took to save them. She showed much love because he forgave her. And by the way, Jesus did not, Jesus did not look over her sin. He said this, her sins, which are many. He knew she had a lot of sin. Her sins, which are many. Oh, how about this, this word right here? They are forgiven. There's a tense of the Greek verbs called the perfect tense, which means this. It's an action that's completed in the past that has ongoing results. We don't necessarily have it in our, in our, in our vocabulary. We don't use that terminology. Same thing happens. But when we say this, her sins are forgiven. That means she, doesn't get, she won't have to pay for those sins. It's an action completed in the past that has ongoing results. And as I understand the word, she's around the throne today in heaven, thanking God still today for his forgiveness, while Simon, who was smug in his religious ways, and look down his pharisaical nose at this woman, if he didn't repent and trust Jesus as his Savior, he's in hell today. Despite all of his religious good deeds. You have two people in this story, really three, counting Jesus. You have one Pharisee who thought Jesus ought to feel good about being here at my house. Thought he had something to offer, thought he was self-reliant. Didn't really think he needed God would say he needed God, but certainly didn't think he needed Jesus. But here's this other person, this woman. Knew she was a sinner. Knew she didn't deserve to be here. She's thankful. Grateful. Broken. I don't... Let me say it, let me say it clearly. We won't appreciate who Jesus is. We won't really appreciate the gospel until we get to a place of understanding just the sinfulness of our sin to the point of being broken over it. Folks, I believe we need to get back to a place of some tears being shed. Not emotionally working it up, but just recognizing I'm a sinner and God's been so merciful to me. And here she is displaying a great amount of gratitude. You know why? Her attitude's right. Well, what what is your attitude? Well, your attitude is your frame of mind. Simon's frame of mind was not right because it was all self-centered. Her frame of mind was right because it was Christ-centered. And thus she gave gratitude because she understood how great he is, how sinful she was. But she also understood this. I was a sinner. <laughs> Hang on, wait a minute. You, you got to enjoy that right there. Simon said, I am a sinner. He, Jesus said, I was a sinner. Now I understand she still would sin after that. I get that and understand that. But do you understand what he was saying there? She is forgiven. Amen. Who does he think he is forgiving anybody of their sin? 
Woman, lady, go in peace. Thy faith has saved thee. Not your good works. Not anything else except this. Your faith has saved you. Now today, look. If you have come to him with that same faith, according to the word, and listen to what Jesus said, not, not listening to what the Simons have said, and not listening to what your inner Simon says, because your inner Simon will tell you, he can't forgive you. You can't be forgiven. But listen to what Jesus says. You are forgiven. Get free. You won't give an account for those because they're under the blood. How could we not come to a place of saying, Dear God, thank you. I don't deserve it. In your mercy and your grace, you saved me. How could we view coming to church as a chore? as a burden when we think about just how great he is and how much merciful he's been to us. See, gratitude truly is dependent on the attitude of the recipient. Sometimes we have to help our kids, don't we? Hey, say thank you. Why are they not saying thank you? Well, they're just on to the next thing. If we're not careful, we can be on to the next thing. And the Heavenly Father has to stop us Help us to realize how thankful we ought to be. Today, if you're not saved, I'm glad to tell you the price has already been paid for you to be set free, forgiven. You can be forgiven today and never have to worry about where you're going to spend eternity. Let's stand together here this morning. Well, I want to thank God for his forgiveness. And by the way, if God in His graciousness is willing to forgive somebody, why should we not be willing to forgive? Do you have the attitude of a sinful woman today or do you have the attitude of a Simon? Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just ask this this morning. How many of you could raise your hand and say, I thank God He forgave me. He saved me. I know I'm on my way to heaven. Praise the Lord. What a blessing to be able to raise a hand and say, yes, I know him as my Savior. Thank you. Is there anyone here today, though, that now at this time, with every head bowed and eye closed, you'd raise your hand and say, I know I'm a sinner, but I don't know, I'm not saved. I, if I die today, I don't know for sure that my sins are forgiven, and I'm concerned about that. Would you raise your hand real high where I could see you and not, not going to embarrass you or point, point you out in any way, any way? But would you just raise your hand and say, I am concerned about that preacher. Listen, it's not, it's not about you being religious or trying harder or doing better. But it's about you knowing you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. And He's the only one. Is there anybody like that? There may even be today here believers that are struggling with forgiveness. Maybe it, maybe it is forgiving somebody else. But it could be today you're struggling even in accepting and believing the fact of His forgiveness in your life. Forgiveness is a fact, not a feeling. It's based on the Word of God. It's based on the atonement shed, the blood shed for you. And He said you can be forgiven and you can live in light of it. 
And certainly that ought to produce gratitude and thanksgiving. Father, today I thank you for the example of this woman who so humbly and so submissively came and bowed at your feet. Lord, how could we do any less? Not for show, but for true gratitude. God, I thank you for the forgiveness and the pardon for sin. Help, Lord, today as we humanly struggle with forgiveness. We struggle to forgive others. We struggle to forgive ourselves. But God, I pray that you'd help us today to see in full view the loving Savior that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. We're singing today, page 256. If you'd like to join these that have come as we sing, Brother Aaron's going to lead us on this very first verse. Would you come?